Up next, social justice advocate and poet Tawana Petty joins Authentically Detroit to discuss surveillance and consentful tech. But first, this week's hot takes come from Rich Detroit. Barack Obama rallies for Gretchen Whitmer, seeks to boost voter turnout in Detroit, and know before you go, health code violations in Detroit restaurants. Keep it locked. Authentically Detroit starts after these messages. Founded in 2021, the Stoudemire is a membership-based community recreation and wellness center centrally located on the east side of Detroit. Membership in the Stoudemire is available on a sliding scale for up to $20 per year or 20 hours of volunteer time. The Stoudemire offers art, dance, and fitness classes, community meetings and events, resource fairs, pop-up events, the neighborhood tech hub, and more. Members who are residents of the east side have access to exclusive services in the wellness network. Join today and live well, play well, be well. Visit ecndetroit.org. Bridge Detroit is your news and engagement platform that is telling the stories of Detroiters rooted by community priorities. Started in 2020 by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Stephen Henderson, the newsroom has already established its footing as the go-to source for hyper-local perspectives that ask the hard questions, brings accountability, and searches out real solutions. It's free to become a member of this award-winning news organization. Visit BridgeDetroit.com today to sign up to receive the news delivered right to your inbox. Bridge Detroit. By Detroiters. For Detroiters. Hey, y'all, it's Orlando. We just want to let you know that the views and opinions expressed during this podcast episode are those of the co-hosts and guests and not their sponsoring institutions. Now, let's start the show. Hello, Detroit and the world. Welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the WDET studios. We are a content partner to BridgeDetroit.com. I'm Orlando Bailey. And I'm Donna Givens-Davidson. We want to say thank you for listening in and supporting our efforts to build a platform of authentic voices for real people in the city of Detroit. Shout out to Charity Dean for changing my opening line. Right. We, want to, we want you to like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. Uh, Donna and Tawana are both in the studio today. How is this blessed day finding each of you? Donna, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You know, we um, engaged in a little bit of um, fall cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin's always niece fun. came in town She's getting her PhD And I guess he said She was too smart for our mess so. <laughs> Was your was your Virgo happy With a clean a clean and reorganized crib? A- absolutely And you know She's a Virgo too So we oh, were like we really get along vibing great. with each other Oh, all, all Virgos, Virgos in the house. house And you know You can always just tell that energy Like she and I were talking It's the second time I've met her And we were vibing on everything. I was like, who is this young lady? I love her. So it was really great. (laughs) (laughs) Tawana Petty, our fellow Virgo, how's the day finding you? Good, good. I'm tired. I'm not going to lie. It's been a Zoom to Zoom Mm. and back again day, but I'm excited to be here with y'all. Yeah. We're excited to have you. I can't believe it's your first time. So first it off, we want to. It's her first yeah. time. Is it really? Mm-hmm. You notice I oh didn't say welcome goodness. back to authentically. <laughs> but I just feel like we've talked before and it had to be. A, <sighs> yeah. Oh my goodness, this is a shock. Yep. I mean, time. yeah, and, and and this is a huge score because Tawana is selective on who she says yes to. <laughs> she so is. Thank you so she much is. for saying yes. Um, super delighted to have you. Thanks for having me. 
Um, I'm tired. Today, I told Donna that today was like one of the Mondayest Mondays I've experienced <laughs> in, in quite a while. I'm just, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little tired today, but, uh, I think I got my second win. I, I was drinking coffee on the way here. This is how tired I was. I'm like, let me make some coffee so that I can get it together. So y'all know that we really, really love y'all because both me and Tawana are pushing through to show up for y'all today. Okay. Yes. All I- right. Yeah. Y'all hear it? All right. Uh, and on Halloween. And on right. Happy Halloween, everybody. I know, right? Oh my God, I saw so many little babies. I, I know. They are the cutest. <laughs> <So cute>. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day. I'll be having baby fever when I see stuff uh-uh. like that. Uh, uh-uh. All right, it's time for Hot Takes, where we run down some of the week's top headlines in the city of Detroit for Hot Takes. Barack Obama rallies for Gretchen Whitmer, seeks to boost turnout in the city of Detroit. So and he's a fine... Am I for Excuse me. <laughs> Can we just start there? How much time do we have? I think we got about 14 minutes for this segment. We got you know, two stories. Don't you love, love Detroit? <laughs> Detroit. Absolutely love Once Detroit. again, first off, the Detroit Pistons upset the Warriors. <laughs> and I was really, really happy about that. So we were in the news. The city was. But we were in the news yet again for being nothing but Detroit. Barack Obama is at a rally at Renaissance High School over the weekend. And he's like, you know, sometimes the campaign trail you know it don't i don't like going out as much and it's probably because i'm old and frail and the lady behind him said you still find in a mother f <laughs> that made my day i swear I, how many times did i watch that excuse me just come and get laugh. your auntie <laughs> and then hold on then i was reading about it and written up in some online magazine and they said a Detroit auntie did that. And I was like, auntie, is this what we're putting in journalism now? So, you know. <laughs> you know Detroit be setting the tone. We, look at how Yeah, listen, between <laughs> that and the, the Gretchen uh, Whitmer video, oh, oh my goodness. My that was, I was like, this is the most Detroit so thing does, I've seen does, in a does, minute. Does the state of Michigan have a partnership with GMAT Cash now or something? I mean, like he, the way that he is riding for Gretchen Whitmer <laughs> at all costs is absolutely hilarious uh, to me. There is not another political video like that in the United States of America for a governor, okay? Let's just be real clear. <laughs> Gretch <Even> did. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Oh, goodness. Oh, there's yes. also, I don't think Barack Obama has been to another city where he's talking and somebody called him finer than a mother effort. <laughs> and he turned around and listen, he was so flattered. Said, did y'all see say what? He was like, what did you say? He was like, did y'all hear that? He said, I'm still fine. I was just like, and so the internet had a field day, like, you know, it was ridiculous. But Squirrel, that's what he said, because we're not focused right now. All right. So he spoke Saturday in a rally to boost support for Governor Gretchen Whitmer and other Michigan Democrats. Obama said before the capacity crowd of about 3,500 people um, at Renaissance, inflation, gas prices and violent crime are difficult problems, but Republicans aren't serious about solving them. Instead, most Republicans are obsessed with owning the libs or getting Donald Trump's approval. He also said that he can tell what Gretchen Whitmer is obsessed with. She's focused on the fundamentals, good jobs, lower costs, better schools, and fixing the damn roads. Ooh, my mama listening, she's going to get me. Detroit, home to Michigan's largest concentration of black voters, remains a major Democratic stronghold, but decades of population loss and sluggish voter turnout rates have diminished its electoral impact. Do you think uh, Barack Obama stumping in Detroit is going to help increase the voter turnout in the city of Detroit? Donna, what say you? 
I don't know, I think between him and that GMAC video, I think that the reality is that, you know, there's a lot that needs to be fixed in the state of Michigan and certainly a lot that needs to be fixed in terms of justice and racial justice. Um, And so there's a long road ahead for anybody who leads the state. But when you look at what the Republican Party is trying to do, when you look at the fact that um, Caramo is trying to sue the city. Um, the, she um, wants Janice to invalidate mail-in ballots, but only in Detroit. Mail-in ballots in Detroit. When you look at the... Uh, the that the, would invalidate whole, my vote, by the way. Well, you know, when, and, and, you know, that's I, I go to vote, and one of my fears is that they'll try to invalidate my vote, but, of course, it doesn't matter if I vote in person and your votes are invalidated because none of them will count, right? Um, because not enough of us, but the... The level of hostility, people act as though this is a partisan thing or even philosophical. Um, It's about, you know, anti-blackness on its face. And anybody who can embrace any degree of anti-blackness because they agree with some other thing that they consider to be more important than, um, you know, um, black rights and black people. um, I have an issue with that, whether you're a black person or anybody else running for office. So. Um, I think it doesn't hurt to stimulate this conversation. I think it doesn't hurt to dip into the culture. And, of course, I think that Proposal 3 is on the ballot. And Proposal 3 is really something that will impact all women, but especially women of color and black women. And so I think that it's important that we take a look at it. It's not just about the right to abortion. It is about the right to not be prosecuted for a miscarriage or not have somebody... Um, you know, examine how did this miscarriage happen? And there are in some states women who have been thrown in prison because there's a perception that they caused their miscarriage. So when we look at reproductive rights, it's not even the choice to um, abort a pregnancy. It is the choice to keep that decision private and not have anybody in the state interfere with it. So for me, um, I don't need any more motivation. I'm just hoping other young people and other people understand it's bigger than um, whether or not you agree with everything that the governor has done. What do, do you, you think? Um, oh, yeah. Wanna... No, I agree. And also with regard to um, the women's rights, you could end up not being able to use contraception. Yeah. So they could prevent you from even preventing a pregnancy. So it's a lot at stake. But as far as um, uh, Barack, President Barack Obama, you know, being able to turn out the vote, I think people are kind of getting a little bit tired of like charismatic leadership. You know what I mean? I think to a degree folks will come out, but I think those will be the tried and true who might not necessarily, you know, show up for primary, but they they'll get out more because they're energized. But I think these uh, last couple of elections have shown us that folks really want to see some things happen um, for their vote. Um, But nobody can argue that, uh, um, Governor Whitmer has fixing the roads because I'm telling you, I've been riding smooth throughout the city or sitting so, in traffic. I'm just she fixing the <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. Just like, let me let me ask you all. Um, let me ask you all this question: um, Republicans want to make this election about inflation um, and crime in the economy, and Democrats are their messaging is you know specifically around abortion rights and enshrining that right in this you know various states constitutions i i I tend to think that um you know that messaging won't change anybody's mind who's against abortion but um and for those of us who are pro-choice uh we we're going to come out and like we always do i don't think it's going to turn 
or change anybody's mind. Do you all think the Democrats have an answer to this critique that is being levied on them regarding inflation and the economy and crime? Because I know I'm feeling it at the grocery store, at the gas station, and I don't see, I, I feel like Democrats are making a mistake by trying to deflect from that conversation instead of facing it head on because there are explanations for this and it's not entirely their fault, but where's the message? I mean, I think don't watch Fox News, first of all, because if you watch Fox News, you're going to be brainwashed. I don't watch any of the television news because I, I, I want to protect my brain cells. So I think the reality is that um, it really doesn't matter what Democrats say because Democrats will be saying it on MSNBC and Republicans will be saying it on Fox News. And we don't have a tendency to listen to the debate. And I don't even know who independents are. Of course, we're dealing with some things um, in the pocketbook. I'll also say that average wages have increased. I'll also say that there are some things that have changed. And so we have these two-headed debates. On the one hand, I hear people saying, hey, the reason people don't want to work is the reason we have a an employee shortage is because the... Um, the the stimulus payments got people lazy and greedy and whatever. And on the other hand, they're saying the price of food is too high. The reality is that our whole economy has been turned on its head. And it's hard to have a conversation about turning an economy on its head between the war, between um, having people not produce various things, between all of the mass deportations that took people who were farm workers and um, and, and home builders out of this this nation. I think it's complex. And it's really hard to have a complex conversation. We should try. Um, I think, honestly, that the best things that happened, and I'm not even joking in terms of voter turnout, was that woman saying, you're fine in an MFR because it made everybody notice. Other than that, most people would have ignored it, right? But everybody watched it. And it just reminded us to love ourselves enough to, it's kind of a pride moment. It's like us, right? And then the other thing is, seriously, GMA, it, it, there's things that are done to help us remember this solidarity that we have to have mm -hmm. during times like this, even though absolutely we have to fight for more. Absolutely. We have to say, this is not enough. Don't throw a charismatic person in front of me and pretend like this charismatic president is going to fix things because we elected him twice. And there are many things that did not get fixed. Mm -hmm. And that's grassroots. I remember when I saw Angela Davis say, you know, I'm talking about Barack Obama. She said, I love Barack Obama. And she went to all this love. She said, so when it's time to vote for him, I go to the polls and I vote for him. The next day I'm starting to organize against him to make demands on this man so that he is living up to whatever it is that he said during his campaign speech. Um, we can do both. Right. And I'm hoping people do both. Understanding that Tudor Dixon is not even going to pretend to want to help us. In fact, she'll try to do the opposite. Well, she's not made a campaign stop in Detroit at all. Well, I mean, yeah. she has she's basically declared war on Detroit. If you really look at it, we are so the enemies. So is this Karama woman. I can't believe. I never thought that I would be defending Janice Winfrey. My goodness. That's what... <laughs> You know, you know that's, that's where that solidarity comes in when you understand that the enemy of my enemy is not necessarily my friend, right? Sometimes it's just my worst enemy. You know, when you, I'm not calling Janice Winfrey my enemy. I'm just saying somebody who you may have issues with. Um, there's not always that, that disagreement, you know, and so I think it's complex. Yeah. But come on, Detroiters, um, this is going to come out before um, the election vote. Vote right. and then get organized. And the other thing is when you vote and people know you vote, they're more afraid of your voice than when they know you don't. Mm. When they know you don't, then there's this mindset. I can just ignore you anyway. And in Detroit, we only have, what, 20, 21, 22 percent of the eligible population voting. And those are people who are primarily middle class, people who are own homes, people who are doing pretty well. People in the most stress and the most need are not voting 
and you have whole mayors and city council people and legislatures being elected by people who don't have the same needs as the people who are staying home in protest. We really need to organize our people to get out there to the polls and then make demands. Protesting by staying home is not protesting, y'all. So get out there, vote. Uh, really quick, we got about three minutes. Note before you go, health code violations in Detroit restaurants. This is Malachi Barrett in British Detroit. How many of you all saw this story? Inspectors found 267 of the city's roughly 1,900 licensed restaurants were not in compliance with the state's food safety standards since the start of this year with about 1,400 violations handed out amongst that 267 restaurants. Some establishments fixed the issues before their next inspection. And right now, Scott Benson has a proposed ordinance that will require food establishments to prominently display health inspection results, which has sparked, number one, a new interest um, in organizers and in the accessibility of food safety information in the city. Who, who benefits from that is my right. question. We got two minutes. And, um, you know, the color code system, I want to rock with my girl, Charity Dean, who is saying this color code system, we need to examine it more and we need to understand the disparate impact of these code violations on the health and well-being of Detroiters. If there is some correlation between these color codings and health and well-being of people, that's one thing. If for um, if we're living in places that could be called food apartheid lands where we don't have many food choices, putting color codes in some neighborhoods won't really matter because what are your choices? I facts. think we really have That's to facts. really think through how are we resourcing restaurants, what kind of loan dollars can they get so they can comply with all of these expectations. Um, and so, you know, sometimes when you're looking at these things, you're benefiting one group and you don't even understand those people may be campaign contributors to one person who is saying trying to um, gain an advantage in this workplace. I think it needs further study. But data has been weaponized against us so often that I'm not willing to color code it and to shut down certain types of restaurants or drive away their business. What do you say? I'm reluctant to say this, but I always I side eye anything that Scott Benson endorses. So. Yeah, you know, I exactly. Know, I don't know why you're reluctant to say that. Exactly. That's what I mean when I say I who, who, who paid for this vote. I, I need don't to know do why you're reluctant just on to face. say that. <laughs> Go ahead and say it. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to do three, four, five studies on anything he's proposing. So yeah, and yeah. the 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 uh, Metro Detroit. Black Business Alliance is certainly saying, let's study this more and let's make sure there's equity here. Um, Charity Dean was the director of the Office of Civil Rights and Inclusion before she took that job. And I'm going to trust my sister because she always seems to have the heart of our people in mind when she makes decisions. And I know who's paying her bills, right? Mm -hmm. It's black business owners and other people who are supporting our mm -hmm. um, economic freedom. So uh, I, I, until I hear otherwise, I'm, I'm reckoning with Charity. When Charity makes a decision, we follow. I mean, we changed mm -hmm. our whole intro. Uh, <laughs> uh, Detroiters who want to know the status of their favorite hangout spot can use an online search tool to find a summary of inspections dating back to 2016. You can find that at bridgedetroit.com. If you have topics that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Elon Musk's Twitter, uh, or you can email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. We're going to take a quick break. We will be right back with Tawanda Petty. Founded in 2021, the Stoudemire is a membership-based community recreation and wellness center centrally located on the east side of Detroit. 
Membership in the Stoudemire is available on a sliding scale for up to $20 per year or 20 hours of volunteer time. The Stoudemire offers art, dance, and fitness classes, community meetings and events, resource fairs, pop-up events, the neighborhood tech hub, and more. Members who are residents of the East Side have access to exclusive services in the Wellness Network. Join today and live well, play well, be well. Visit ecndetroit.org. Have you always dreamed of being on the airwaves? Well, the Detroit Eastside Engaged Podcast Network, or DEEP for short, is here to make that dream a reality. Located inside the Stoudemire, the DEEP Network offers studio space and production staff to help get your podcast idea off the ground. Doesn't take a whole lot of work to get started. Just visit the Authentically Detroit page at ecn-detroit.org or call Sarah at 313-948-0344. After all of this talk of license plate readers, plus the city council voting to pass ShotSpotters expansion, Donna and I thought it would be the perfect time to discuss surveillance and how it impacts us as Detroiters. This week, we have the pleasure of sitting down with digital social justice advocate and poet and convening member of the Detroit Digital Justice Coalition, Tawana Petty. We want to talk about this uh, term that we just learned about uh, is called consentful tech. A lot of us have heard about consent with regard to our physical bodies, like in the context of medical decisions or sexual activities. But what does consent mean when it comes to our data and digital lives? Consentful technologies are digital applications and spaces that are built with consent at their core and that support the self-determination of people who use and are affected by these technologies. The Consentful Tech Project raises awareness, develops strategies, and shares skills to help people build and use technology consentfully. The Consentful Tech Project's definition of good digital consent is adapted from Planned Parenthood definition of sexual consent, which abbreviates the easy-to-remember, tasty acronym FRIES. According to this definition, consent must be freely given, reversible, informed, enthusiastic, and specific. Tawana Petty. Woo! That's so compelling. It is. So y'all made y'all made up a word. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'll give all credit due to uh, my co-author, uh, Una Lee, who runs the Consentful Tech Project. And um, and yeah, she's been doing this work around Consentful Tech for many years. And so we co-authored this curriculum because we were doing it with um, the Equitable Internet Initiatives, Digital Stewards and other community members working through how they saw what consent meant with regard to their digital bodies or their data bodies or um, the way they engage with social media and things. And so consent full is like, it's full of consent, right? Mm. It's, it's revocable. You can opt in and out whenever you need to. Um, and you don't owe anybody anything, right? If I want to be untagged in that photo, just untag me in that photo or ask me before you, like it's really, it really is a consent way of engaging with digital technologies so I have questions around that you mm -hmm. know especially when you look at social media yeah like you know when you open up your Facebook account I used to wonder Facebook is free I wonder how we got the service free of charge nobody's making any money mm -hmm. <laughs> right and then I found out they were selling my data right and they were compiling it and selling it and using it for purposes sometimes it was okay you know you're trying to get me to purchase this rug but sometimes it's not yeah. you know sometimes I, my cell phone starts taking notes and and I'm like, well, I didn't say anything to you. Why are you 
I'm doing this, especially when I'm wearing my, you know, um, my, my wireless headphones. It seems to be spying on me. But anyway, on Facebook, yeah. every week you have somebody who's saying tomorrow is the day that Facebook is going to begin using your images without your consent and your data without your consent. So post this on your Facebook and tell them they can't do that. And it really makes me laugh because yeah. that post has no power, right? Um, at the same time, most of us are uh, uh, complying with or agreeing to accept terms of use that we either don't read or can't understand. Yeah. How do you get to social media, consentful social media? Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I actually posted recently that consent is going to be one of the most difficult things to to make systemic within these systems because, um, it's been conflated with coercion, you know, so we're in this kind of forced consent relationship where if you want the benefit of anything, you have to kind of give up a lot. And so we do a lot of training, teaching um, different people who work in tech, tech innovators, data scientists, um, et cetera. And we're trying to teach them what consentful really means but it, it is a slow and steady process and so um, we do kind of like a train the trainer method with our curriculum um, and we have a long way to go but we we are seeing some progress right we're seeing um, new legislation come out of governments if you look at if you even look at California's privacy bill it has it's had an impact on us right think about the number of times where you get to say I don't want any of those cookies Right. Remember, you couldn't do that like even a couple of years ago. You just had to deal with it. There are a lot of a lot more consentful practices being implemented mm. within systems where you get to opt out of having your data extracted. But not those posts, right? Well, <laughs> you can't just post the stat. That's one of the things that happens on social media is people post the status and they think that the powers that be up in, you know, meta are, are going to go, oh, such and such posted a status. And that means that I can no longer, you know, infringe upon their privacy rights. No, it's going to take legislation. It's going to take using your uh, voting for uh, certain bills that come out. Um, the White House just recently released, released what's called a blueprint for AI Bill of Rights. Um, and so we're trying to get city governments and different um, institutions to apply those principles. So there's a lot of legislative ways that you can start to enforce consentful practices, um, as well as teaching each other how to be more consentful. And this is not just sort of this abstract discussion about use of my data, right. but Data has been weaponized against us. Yeah. Can you talk about what that looks like? Mm. Yeah. I mean, so I spent you five years with mining. our data. Yeah. I spent five years with our data bodies. Um, it's a project that is across three cities, Detroit, Charlotte, and L.A. And that's where we got the notion that people wanted to be seen, not watched. Right. Community members were saying, I want to be seen. I don't want to be watched. I feel like my data is being extracted mm, and leveraged for nefarious purposes. Right. And so, um, our data is weaponized. If you think think about this, decisions are made about our entire neighborhoods based on data. If you have an EBT card in a community and you're going and you're buying certain types of foods, maybe, you know, maybe you don't have a lot of healthy options and you're purchasing foods that aren't considered healthy. Well, they might make a decision based on that accumulated data in that community that th there isn't a whole foods uh, of fresh vegetables or I don't want to say whole foods, but in, in general, 
uh, a store with fresh veggies and things isn't needed in that neighborhood because those people purchase these types of foods. It doesn't take into account the systemic situation that led to the fact that you don't have those healthy options, right? Or if you have uh, people in your neighborhood that are riding bikes and don't own a lot of cars, right? They might make a decision in your neighborhood to put bike lanes. Or if you are um, in a situation where, you know, you have a lot of people who work out or, you know, there's a lot of gym memberships in your neighborhood, they might invest the types of things in your neighborhood that encourage exercise. And so data is leveraged in so many ways that we don't know about. And that is there's a data trail and a stream that kind of integrates with other systems to make decisions about your life, your family, your community. So in Race After Technology, Ruha Benjamin talks about the new gym code. Yes. And the way that data has acted and it seems to be objective, but what it does is reinforce and reify racism inside of our communities. And no when doubt. you compile this data, no you can close schools based on that data. Yeah. You can determine a home's value based on that data or undervalue a home based on that data. And I was in Milwaukee at a conference several years ago and there was this, you know, you have these workshops and people are bragging about what they're doing. And I ended up in this workshop where this guy was talking about how he had this project in Milwaukee where they could look at police data, housing data, school data for kids, um, social services data, and they could combine it all in one system to make decisions about families. And people were applauding that. And I was like, that is absolutely horrible. I didn't know you then because I would have brought this issue immediately <laughs> after. I was so overwhelmed by this. I was like, you know, because this cannot only, this cannot not be harmful. You know, the fact that people can so easily look up your criminal history. Yeah. The fact that police can look at your car and know things about you allows you to be targeted, doesn't it? Yeah. And the fact that every single person who's taken a state ID or driver's license in the state of Michigan since 1999 is in a face recognition database. Right. When you went when when you were 16 and went to get your driver's license or you went and got your state ID, did you didn't sign up for that. For that yes. None of us signed up for that. And yeah. so that if it hadn't have been a research team that did that, un, you know, veiled that evidence we wouldn't even know we just learned that in 2019 they've been collecting all those ids since 99 but so then how do they use them though they're they're in a michigan state a michigan uh state database for face recognition so that they can uh compare your i your face print to that identification so that's your form of id that is then compared in case you know something happens where they have to see if you were you know, uh, guilty of a crime. So remember we were talking about, uh, you know, voting and then holding those we vote for accountable and, you know, how Detroit and the state seems to love Gretchen Whitmer. Make sure she, <laughs> for those of y'all who camping for Gretchen Whitmer, make sure y'all bring this up to her the next time she comes to your backyard kissing babies and having hot dogs, okay? Right, <laughs> That's one of the reasons why we really wanted Proposal P to pass in Detroit's Bill of Rights because it was pushing against a lot of those things that are just kind of taken as that's the way it is there yeah. were so many things in there so many things so and, many things um and it, it was reparations truly there were it but there were there were perhaps some poison pills in there that made it difficult to move forward and they were able to to i'm not mm -hmm. saying the pills are poison i will say they were able to latch on a couple of provisions and disqualify the whole thing and that's really unfortunate rather than saying these things have to leave but otherwise it's okay yeah. mm. mainly they were talking about funding and now when i look at how the city of detroit is sitting on 800 million dollars that could have funded a blueprint for the city that was 
addressing accessibility, housing, water, surveillance, et cetera. Yeah. You know, so anyway, I get us going down. You know, it's so crazy because I remember road. when that happened and when <laughs> yeah. the the charter, when we began to see some of the uh, the work that the charter was doing mm-hmm. uh, and revising the charter, I remember asking a question, Donna, on this show mm-hmm. to one of the charter commissioners. and said, okay, this sounds great. What is stopping uh, the administration from l- completely erecting a messaging campaign against this right and that was the one i asked that question early on because i was seeing the work that was coming out i'm like this is there's going to be an organization of messaging mounted up against this are y'all prepared yeah Yeah, we're prepared we're We're prepared prepared. we're not prepared but but you know when you look at movement work that movement work has to be um sort of insulated from mass media You've got to work at the ground level and get people involved and knowledgeable about what you're trying to do so they're not, you know, subject to that. We have not done enough movement work in our city, I don't believe. I think that we try. There's a lot of— Say more about what you mean it needs to be insulated from mass media. I think there's nothing I would see on the commercial. Hulu ads. I mean, (laughs) what I mean is this. There's no commercial that's going to change my mind about things that I know about. You. If, mm. No. Yeah. There's no oh, that, commercial no, that you know that's about. going to change a person's mind about things that they know about. For right? sure. What they know for sure. So yeah. I think we have to build up that body of knowledge and we have to democratize knowledge. We have to yeah. spend more time educating people about some of the specifics and the details and some of the harms. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, stop and frisk. Right. Sounds okay. Right. And then um, I'm reading until some things. Until you're stopped and frisked. Until you're stopped and frisked. Because I was stopped and frisked at the airport. It was TSA. And I was ready to Child fight somebody, right? They were going to arrest me. I felt, get your hands up from in between yeah. my legs. What are you doing? It felt so violating. Yeah. But um, stop and frisk sounds okay to some people. Because this is how you get guns off the street. And if you are dealing in a culture of fear, that makes sense. Here's what I didn't understand initially, though. Mm-hmm. Is that when they get stopped, a lot of times when you arrest somebody, it's more than just an arrest. They take your blood, yeah. they take your fingerprints, and they have so and your picture, and you are and in it's your all arrest. Kinds, it's, it's your arrest. It's not even conviction. Exactly, like, just your yeah. arrest. You are entered into a database. Mm-hmm. So if I can arrest every black man in the city of Detroit, mm-hmm. I can have data on every black man in such a way. But you don't have that kind of data in Gross Point, right? Um, the other thing, you know, we were talking about ShotSpotter on the show, and I really want to get your opinion on a couple things. Mm-hmm. ShotSpotter, from the research I've been seeing, it's not just a matter of it being a waste of money. Right. But ShotSpotter is Seven a ridiculous type dollars. of tech, but it's also dangerous technology. It's also dangerous technology. Like if it was just wasteful, then that would be misappropriation and misuse of funds like we do for all policing. Right. But if what it does is it, it creates increased police aggression in neighborhoods that are already vulnerable, Mm -hmm. then it's no longer just a cost factor. It creates stop and frisk. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because if I'm shooting something up, I've never done that. I've never even shot a gun, but I'm just guessing. If I was shooting somebody in a crime, I would not stand around and wait for the police. I'd have my escape route planned, right? Mm -hmm. But But the person who is walking down the street five minutes later may Mm -hmm. or may not understand that they have been targeted by some technology that cannot differentiate between the guy who shot the gun and the guy walking down the street. Right. That is problematic. Now the guy walking down the street may not go to prison, but we know that we don't have great criminal defense systems, although there are new pr- procedures. Maybe he's just arrested. Maybe you just take his blood. Maybe you just take his fingerprint. Maybe you just take his picture. Or maybe he does and have a minor warrant or ex- something. Ex- and now you've added him, you know. Right. And so it kind of criminalizes a community. And I think we have to, 
really help people think through outcomes and impacts. Not just they have your picture in a database, but because of that and because of the inaccuracy of this technology, false arrests, false identifications increase, right? And so I think otherwise what happens is a lot of people are so afraid that they're willing to accept the fact, oh, maybe it's a waste of time, but if it, if, if it helps, let's just do it. And I see a lot of people throwing up their hands, well, what are we going to do? We don't know what to do, so maybe it'll help. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the conflation between surveillance and safety is similar to the conflation between consent and coercion, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, you, if, if a community is fearful, you really don't have to deliver safety. You just have to promise safety. Right. And you never, ever, it's like the American dream, right? There's very few people who ever actually attain it. You just have to dangle it. You just have to say, it's possible. And that's what policing does. And that's why propaganda is so dangerous. You better give us language. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't make that word up, but I have adopted it. You know, that's what you saw come out against Proposal P. It was copaganda, right? It's like, what are what's the community's deepest fears and how can we leverage those fears to get folks to vote on our side? I mean, you saw the town hall was shot spotted. They used little cast, little um, tombstones of of people's family members and on the front lawn of the town hall for shot spotter. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, if you're (sighs) grieving and you're suffering a tragedy, you want anything and everything to be available to you. And you know, I'm sorry. I wanted to ask you this, you know, one of my favorite, uh, Tawana Petty, uh, you know, pieces that's in the ether is a lecture that you did at the university of Michigan school of social work. Shifting the culture of anti-racist organizing. Um, what? Thank you for watching. <laughs> of course, I I, re- <laughs> I watched it in real time. But you know, one of the things that I'm thinking about, especially as it relates to this this shot spider piece, is like if we if that isn't anti-black organizing, what is? What yeah. were some of the? I I know that you were constantly at the council table trying to give public comment. Uh, what what was on the other side of that? How are you all responding to those things, especially to a family whose grief is dangled right in front of them to, to you know, monger fear yeah. um, and approval? How did you all respond to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I testify as a survival of a survivor of violence. Um, I testify as a person who's lost family members and friends to gun violence, um, but also as someone who understands that that technology is not going to deliver the promises that are being made. And so I am all for investing in situations um, and resources that are going to, going to create safety, but that's not going to create safety. Detroit, what, what I try to explain to people is, you know, we're seeing white supremacy ramp up, like ramp up to a level that I haven't experienced in my lifetime. And locally, so in our locally, policy, locally and our in our black city is surround. We're like in a panopticon, right, where you can't see everything that's watching you, but we're fully being watched. I mean, there's so many surveillance technologies that are containing Detroit right now, while white supremacy is just rampant. All mm. on on a, on the perimeters, right? And so that frightens me, right? That we are being watched to such a degree, and we're not being seen. Our needs are not being seen. Our needs are not being met. But 
who is watching the people who want to cause Detroit harm? We're going to see an uproot in white racist violence. We just are um, the everything externally, politically is telling us um, that it's happening. We had the um, we had the marches that happened here, like the white supremacist marches right before the 2020 mm-hmm. uprising, you know, for, uh, for uh, George racial Floyd. justice mm-hmm. and George Floyd. And, you know, our officers escorted them through right. the city. Right. But then tear gassed the protesters who were protesting police violence. And so uh, what I'm saying is we're at the point we're back and I'm wrapping this up. I apologize. We're back at the point where this predominantly black city is not seen as fully human. I mean, we it, it was very difficult for us to be seen as fully human and at least during the combing young era we were you know there was like look these this is a this is a viable city that community members are full contributing human beings and i'm not going to stand for that type of injustice but we just haven't seen that type of leadership in a long time where people are saying like detroiters deserve water uh, the water to be protected, the housing infrastructure to be mm. protected, the you know our safety to be protected. But you know, Coleman all right, we're going to put just... a bookmark. We got to put a bookmark okay. right oh, there, right. and we are going to come back to continue this conversation okay. about being seen and not watched, and our humanity mm. here in the city of Detroit. More with Tawana Petty after this. Mm. That was powerful. Bridge Detroit is your news and engagement platform that is telling the stories of Detroiters rooted by community priorities. Started in 2020 by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Stephen Henderson, the newsroom has already established its footing as the go-to source for hyper-local perspectives that ask the hard questions, brings accountability, and searches out real solutions. It's free to become a member of this award-winning news organization. Visit BridgeDetroit.com today to sign up to receive the news delivered right to your inbox. Bridge Detroit, by Detroiters, for Detroiters. Founded in 2021, the Stoudemire is a membership-based community recreation and wellness center centrally located on the east side of Detroit. Membership in the Stoudemire is available on a sliding scale for up to $20 per year or 20 hours of volunteer time. The Stoudemire offers art, dance, and fitness classes, community meetings and events, resource fairs, pop-up events, the neighborhood tech hub, and more. Members who are residents of the east side have access to exclusive services in the wellness network. Join today and live well, play well, be well. Visit ecndetroit.org. All right. We are back with Tawana Petty. Donna? Yeah, I just wanted to comment on what you were saying. It was so powerful. Thank you. Um, But, you know, when you talked about white supremacy and the rise of white supremacy, white supremacy is not necessarily something white people do. It is a system of belief that is um, the the dominant system of belief in Western cultures, mm-hmm. and um, and you know, so you're seeing it in white people. You're also seeing it in black people, yeah. And you're also seeing it, you know, in some other black, brown people. It's not a white person's issue. It is a societal issue. There are many black people who want to survey other black people because they're afraid of their own. Right. Our own police chief was, you know. Work walking, you know, step and hand to step. Hand. He was walking in line with white supremacists. Okay, he believed a lot of that rhetoric. In fact, when you had the protesters, the the crazy folks coming trying to disrupt the trade elections, he said they have a right to be heard. And I thought it was very interesting that their rights superseded the rights of people who were marching in Detroit. In Detroit, Um, and a lot of people joined him in that sort of anti 
Black Lives Matter protests because those people were from the outside as though the Nazis he escorted all over the city of Detroit and the racists he escorted or supported being down at um, Copo or what is it now, Huntington Place, um, counting the votes or trying to disrupt the counting of votes were not from other places. So right. you have these things. But I think, you know, when you talk about full humanity, in full humanity, there's trauma. And there's mm-hmm. a trauma response. Mm-hmm. And then people who are traumatized and have this trauma response traumatize other people. And it goes on and on and on. And we've had, you know, we had how many centuries of uninterrupted trauma through um, the slave trade, right. through Jim Crow um, and the like. And then you have other racist practices that continue to this day. We know where the trauma is. We know how many children are in out-of-home placement. We know how many children lost their parents to mass incarceration. We know all of these things. Mm-hmm. But the only people's trauma we care about are Ethan Crumbly and Kanye West. Other than that, there's just no concern about the trauma that we see in our midst. I'm trying to understand why we have prosecuted Ethan Crumbly's parents for ignoring his trauma and allowing this to continue. But we allow black children to grow up in systematic trauma so much worse than what he experienced. Mm. And nobody cares. And nobody says that's an excuse. I mean, he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. And I'm in no way saying the parents are not at fault. But we have systems that do what these parents did. And the systems are never corrected. And so it feels to me like if we really wanted to get to the root of violence, we have to get to the root of trauma. And we have to start having some healing. Yeah. And that healing is going to cost money. It's going to cause us, cause us to have to redefine how we approach people and see the humanity in people we've decided to look away from. The person who is leaving mass, um, prison and can't find housing, yeah. can't find a job, can't find food, standing on the streets. And when he's asking you for money, you say, well, he ought to get a job. And so you have decided you can throw up your hands and not care increasingly I'm hearing so many people when we talk about social interventions talk about women and children, women and children. I'm like, wait a minute. Yes, indeed, women and children. Mm -hmm. But men also need support. And we don't always see, especially black men, as being fully human and not the predator or the danger to our community such that we don't see a need to protect them. So can you talk a little bit about um, some of the healing work that you're engaged in, because I know that you do more than just observe. You're also a person I always see as a healing person. Yeah, I'm 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 here. I'm trying to help heal and healing as I go. And I, I'll tell you, like the fact that we aren't like Detroit as a whole um, is not seen as a, a human. Like right. we were seen as like. I curse. Yes. <laughs> we were seen as like a shithole city before Trump was throwing out that rhetoric, you know, mm-hmm. to to um, African and predominantly black other countries and nations. Um, and so the because we're not seen as fully human, um, when you've uh, when you've been through that sort of a long standing narrative, like my entire life. That narr- that's been the narrative that Detroit is like the city full of people who are like not contributing, um, are, are helpless, hopeless, murderous, you know, and don't care about their properties, et cetera. It's easy to internalize that as an identity. Like, you know, well, if I, I mean, I, I've run into so many young people through my work who have said, well, nobody give a care about me. Why should I care about them? And that's what they feel, you know, and if a person is navigating through society, feeling like nobody has their interests at stake, 
that nobody cares about whether they live or die or what they're going to eat tomorrow, whether they have water or clothes on their body, then it's going to be very difficult for them to see you as a human being. And that is how we get quality of life crime. That's how we get um, dehumanized behavior. Right. And so we have to start having systemic responses to a very long systematic leveraging of violence that has been imposed upon Detroiters. And mm. so, you know, until we can do that, until we can say these young people, one of, one of my comrades always say, says young people are not violent. They're responding to being violated. And so mm. you know, until we can get to the point where we are seeing the types of systems that are been levied on top of our community, especially our young community who are on the front lines of mm, all of this, receiving mm-hmm. it firsthand, you know, um, a lot of times with no supports uh, and very little resources, um, then we're not going to solve the crime issue that's being that we're having surveillance dumped upon. Right. But we but, you know, systems are interesting because some yeah. of the systems we don't control. Right. Right. But some of the systems we have more control over. Mm-hmm. So community systems, family systems, church right. systems, school systems, those things that we can control. Yeah. How do we begin turning our behavior so that we are doing what we can in our wake. I have seen young people who have felt like that experience that changed their lives because they did see somebody love them. Even if the system is broken, right? Mm -hmm. Um, One young man who we worked with who had two parents who were incarcerated for life and Mm -hmm. didn't really have a place to call home. And people intervened, and he's about to graduate from college this year. Love it. Um, Beautiful young man, beautiful person. But we saw the humanity in him, not some kid who was broken. You know, so many people say, well, by 14, if you don't catch them young, that you, they're, they're, it's they're too late. Third grade. Yeah, now, third I mean. grade, yeah. It's third grade, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, it, right. There's 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds who can turn their lives around. There are 50-year-olds who can turn their lives around. There's somebody on my staff right now. Yeah was homeless for 20 plus years mm-hmm. and is now working and feeling good about himself and changing his whole life has changed yeah. so because he's still human right right he didn't lose that humanity at what point do we stop seeing that and 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 then say how do we embrace them and work together as a world community and so for me my commitment is to work on the systems level the big systems that we don't control but also work at the community systems where I can have right. some influence and again I know you do too mm-hmm. and one of the beautiful things you do is you're a poet and yes, your poet is so healing and so beautiful <laughs> can you share some of your poetry with us yes absolutely i'll share my love letter to detroit we were supposed to turn our backs on you Count down to your imminent demise. Dangle you by the limbs of misdeeds. They wanted us to rate you inferior. Plagued by deteriorating neighborhoods and a convoluted history, you were never supposed to bloom from your ashes. A lot like you have been discarded like debris, deemed useless to naysayers and convictors. Yet you keep rising, clinging to vitality. You refuse to allow statistics to dictate your destiny in the media will channel your journey. And though some shall remain loyal, others will mock your tribulations. You were combing a young into maturity, both your gift and your curse. Imported from adversity, you've seen better decades, yet you thrive during the worst of them. Your best days have yet to arrive, and though some won't stick around to witness your climb or rejoice in your restoration, your destination is inevitable. 
You've been on the bottom much longer than most, and the bridges you'll journey won't be easy to coast, but you will make it. And bring warriors with you, armed with devotion. They will defend your dignity and honor your namesake. You are Detroit, the road to progression, the mirror image of endurance, and you hold the key to taking back our democracy. I'm snapping. Yeah, snap, snap, I'm snap. I'm snapping. Oh, my gosh. We got a poem out of Tawana Betty. I know, right? I know. I know. <laughs> oh, man. You know, a lot of this work um, and the way that we talk about it and the way that we, 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 we understand that it is infused in systems, mm-hmm. right? It seems like a really large undertaking. Yeah. Where do we start? Where do we plug in? Listen, one of my great friends, Lottie Spady, um, she would she used to always say it's better to be an inch wide and a mile deep than a mile wide and an inch deep. And so that's how you get it. You're rooted that that little inch that that neighborhood, you know, your next door neighbor or on your block like that inch wide mile deep is rooted and then it becomes like mycelium under the earth right Mm -hmm. and it's like it gets it's rooted and connected and you do a lot of that work y'all do a lot of that work and I did a lot of that work with Lottie once upon a time and watched how um, some of those young people thrived and it's um, you know the most beautiful thing when I talk and I'm teaching now and I'm talking to my students and like wow you know how do you stay you know how do you keep from being depressed and I said because of the people that's you know um, the yeah. people in Detroit are wonderful. Mm-hmm. There are so many wonderful people. And when you allow yourself to see that beauty and interact with it, and when you see people's lives changing as a result of any small effort that you did, yeah. then it gives you the hope to keep fighting. But we also have to build that worldwide, that, that movement. We have to build movement in our community such that we are educating everybody we can mm-hmm. about what we know. We are helping to transform their understanding. The whole world treats Detroiters like Detroiters are not smart enough to understand these systems. But Mm -hmm. they can. We -hmm. just have to take the time to explain what we can, when we can. That was the purpose of Authentically Detroit. And I think Each One Teach One is part of that message. But also, let's come together sometimes. I would love to see, you know, us having some type of movement activity at um, Huntington Place or someplace big where you have to, you know, have people there by the thousands and we're just speaking life into our community and That's speaking, right. um, you know, all kinds of things and they're listening to your poetry and Lottie's poetry. Yes. And I love her poetry too, you know, <laughs> and yes. other people's poetry and they're also just connecting um, with a future because the only thing that can be can kind of beat these systems is people working together. That's right. And I remain optimistic that we can, that love is stronger than hate. It is. And that we can love our way into some type of greater justice. So that's, that's my, and, and, you know, I have to say, I always love sitting down with you, Toronto. <laughs> I, I, I love sitting love, down with you too. You know, I just, you. I just love your spirit and the way you bring the intelligence, but also the kindness and the love for the work. Um, so I hope this is not the last time you are on here. Um, oh, y'all can't get rid of me. Though. Oh, okay. Easy. Oh, that's, that's great. That's <laughs> really, really, really good to hear. You know, it's so funny. You're like, we need somebody to talk about shots, but we need somebody who's like, Tawana Petty. And I always call you, you know, I always call you my mind, Tawana Honeycomb Petty. Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> so Honeycomb right. too. That's my nickname. Uh-huh. Yep. Tawana, um, let the folks know how they can plug into some of the work uh, that you're doing before we get out of here. Yeah, um, two websites, TawanaPetty.org, Pettypropolis.org, P-E-T-T-Y-P-R-O-P-O-L-I-S.org. 
All right. Y'all be sure to check her out. If you have any topics that you want to discuss on the podcast, you can reach out to us on our socials at Authentically Detroit on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at authenticallydetroit at gmail.com. Our inbox has been on fire this past week. It's time for shout outs. Donna, you have any shout outs? You know, I wanted to shout out the folks at Enterprise Communities last week, but we didn't do shout outs because they arranged for us to go to New Orleans and really put a lot of money into our learning journeys. And you don't always have communities do that. I want to shout out the funders, Kevin Ryan and Brian Hogle, for really investing in that, as well as Darnell Adams and the Gilbert Family Foundation and others who are really investing in our work. I feel as though we are at a different place from a community standpoint now than we were in the past. And that's because we have black folks leading some of these foundations or leading some of these initiatives who really do understand that um, there's power in just giving us the resources to figure things out. And so I want to honor those people who see that and saw the value of, you know, putting us up in the four seasons in New Orleans. That was the fanciest place and I'll never be. But I was like, well, this is nice. That was really great. What about you? Um, I'll go, but I want to want to go first. Okay. I want y'all to take me to New Orleans. Um, <laughs> that's, so. what, that's, what I told, that's what I told them last week. I said, "No, y'all didn't have I money can, for me I to can go." Document it for y'all for or something. Real, something. <laughs> uh, I'll just. I want to shout out Akibalan Village. I do. Marvin I just Schofield. want to say yes, yes. and we um, and uh, Greg McKenzie over there. We're. Detroit Digital Justice Coalition, we're doing a skate, a discotheque and skate. So I hope people can come. It's learning Man. about, um, it's on November the 13th. That's a Sunday from one to three and it's free. And, um, and people will learn about this stuff that we talked about, but they can also skate. Oh, <laughs> I love it. It's going to be at a cube line? Yeah, it's going to yeah, be at a cube line. get the rink in there. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Rink. Do you have to bring my own skates? Or yeah. They, you, uh, they suggest that, but they do have some. I'm they just don't want, they want to make sure they have all the Enough. sizes and I stuff. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to shout out uh, Tawana, number one, for oh, saying shit. yes today. But Tawana also said yes to appearing with me alongside Aaron Keefe this upcoming Wednesday at the Detroit Public Theater for... Uh, one of the last iterations of Urban Consulate this season, the second to last iteration of Urban Consulate this season. Uh, I cannot wait to be in space with you once again, Tawana Petty. So that's going to be uh, this upcoming Wednesday. It's free and open to the public. Y'all meet us there Wednesday at Detroit Public Theater at 7 o'clock. We're going to get into it and more. <laughs> what is my life? I will teach on Wednesdays. And I will, I've missed every single one of these. You know I want to see that one. But it's going to be recorded, right? It's going to be recorded. Yes. And uh, folks will have the opportunity to plug in. Thank you for saying yes. And thanks for sharing with thanks us some of your me. beautiful poetry. All right, everybody. We want to thank you all so much for tuning in and listening. Be sure to share. Be sure to download all of that good stuff and follow us on social media. Until next time, we thank you so much for listening. We want you to catch the wave.